No matter who you are, God wants you to know today that he is providing an abundant grace and the measure necessary for you to live pleasing to him. And as you live pleasing to him, he will reward you for that. It's an amazing concept of scripture that God provides every means necessary for your faithful life lived in pleasure of him. And then he turns around and rewards you for living the life that he has given you the opportunity to live. I want to talk about that today. Last week's study, we revealed that the faith and obedience of Abel, that it created an opportunity for him to respond in a very worshipful way, in the way that God prescribed him to. And God graciously credited Abel's faith as righteousness to him. It's a common theme throughout the scripture and even in our own lives. That Abel's faith was declared righteous before God and God commended him for that. According to Colossians 1, our righteousness comes through God's grace and is enacted through our faith in God who sent his son Jesus as our substitutionary atonement. I'm grateful for that. It was no way for you or me to gain salvation, no way for us to earn it, ever merit it, ever to pay the consequences of our debt except by our death and separation from God. But God sent his one and only beloved son in exchange for us and became the substitute who would take our penalty of sin and judgment upon himself. I appreciate the summary that Arthur Pink writes in his commentary on the book of Hebrews. He gives us insight to the particular order of Hebrews 11, the people involved in that narrative of Hebrews 11. And he notes in his commentary in a very expansive way that the list is not chronological. It's not an order of time in which they are given to us in Hebrews 11. It's not even an order that the Bible gives us as they're coming up one after another, although some of them are, certainly not all of them. But instead, the way in which the author of Hebrews is giving us the characters of the Old Testament in this 11th chapter is to describe for us the magnitude of the gospel. And if we'll just take opportunity to meditate on this truth and really contemplate what God is communicating through that, we will see that. For instance, you'll note the first three names in the Bible. Last week we talked about Abel, this week we're talking about Enoch, and next week we'll talk about Noah. Think about those three people and the order in which he has given them to us, and you'll see a summary of the gospel. For instance, it was by faith that Abel heard God's word, God's instruction about how to approach him in a life and opportunity of worship and in that hearing God's word and acting in faith he worships him and God credits that to him as righteousness. Today we'll discover that it's by faith that Enoch is walking with God in a way that pleases God. It's his faith that enables him by God's grace to walk pleasing to God and then next week we'll talk about by faith Noah begins working and witnessing for God. Now think about this order. It is Abel coming to God in faith 
coming to God with blood sacrifice and worshiping him there. It's Enoch being taken immediately to the presence of God without experiencing death. And it's Noah who is working and witnessing unto God. Don't miss that order. If you're going to come to God in faith, it will be because you understand the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And in that faith of God who has sent his son to be your sacrifice and mine, we will leave this world into the presence of God without ever tasting death. And until that time, we will find ourselves to be faithful in works and witness unto Jesus Christ. Let it be so. Don't try to skip one of those. Don't try to work your way into a relationship with God. No, no, it will be by faith through the sacrifice of Christ. Don't come to any other position other than Christ, I'm trusting you by faith in your sacrifice given in my stead. I trust you, believing that I will be absent from this life and present with you Dead today, alive in you, and I trust you to yield my life to you as your servant and slave. I want to work unto you, and I want to bear witness unto you and your salvation. God has sovereignly locked this design in place, and we are grateful to be able to reflect on that. Now, how cool is it? All the way from Genesis to Revelation, you have the scripture declaring the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ declaring to people how we might be saved. Now, if you remember in Genesis 5, there's a narrative there that is called the Book of Adam, and it's a genealogy. If, if you're like me, you might be tempted sometimes to kind of skip over the genealogies, uh, but often we ought to just slow down and think through that because the gene genealogies give us the recordings of the people and they give us some fascinating details if you read through Genesis 5. And I encourage you to do that later today, not during the message. But Genesis 5 has some amazing, fantastic ages of people. This was prior to the flood when God had not yet conditioned their life to be subject to 120 years or less. And in this, there's uh, people who live in great, great numbers uh, but, but look in verse 24. Think about verse 24 because in the midst of this genealogy, we find one that just kind of captures our imagination. It says in chapter 5, verse 24, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Now that always intrigues me. I've read that verse, studied that verse, contemplated that verse many times and it always intrigues me. Enoch is walking with God and God takes him. Now, if you think about it, walking is an intentional exercise, isn't it? I mean, walking is very purposeful, it's active, and it is about intentionality. It's moving from one place to the other. None of us just walk aimlessly. Even if we're walking for the sake of walking for exercise, we have a purpose behind it. So with that in mind, walking involves a deliberate choice. It is a forward movement, and it has destinational intent. I want you to think about just that mechanic and the practice of and the activity of walking. You're purposeful. You are moving forward, and you have some place that you're going. Now, it is that way spiritually as well. And so when the Bible says that Enoch is walking with God, 
He is very purposeful about it. He is moving forward and he has a destination in mind. Now, Enoch is not just walking with God. Enoch is walking with God by faith. So you and I can say the same thing about our lives spiritually. We walk by faith, making a willful choice to surrender to the way of God, to be guided in this walk by the Holy Spirit and to live for him on earth, knowing that one day we're going to live with him in heaven. So there's intentionality about our living intentionality about our walking that's the context that we need to read today's passage I think that's the framing by which we read Hebrews 11 verses 5 4 and 5 and in that we'll get more details about Enoch and God it's actually verse 5 and 6 let's read it together in Hebrews chapter 11 verses 5 and 6 by faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Uh, let's just pause and pray. God, please, I pray by your Spirit's work and by your grace that you'd make us alert and attentive to your voice and your Scripture and that you'd soften our hearts and engage us in such a way with faith that we would hear your word and respond to it. To the glory of Christ and to your pleasure, I pray. Amen. Now, if you're like me, you wonder... What was it like for Enoch to suddenly be walking and then be no more here on earth but in the presence of God in heaven? What, what did that look like? Was anybody else around? Did anybody see that? How quickly did that happen? I know for us it happens in the twinkling of the eye when the Lord returns for his church. That's pretty fast instantaneous for those who die before the great rapture of the church it's absent and suddenly present so I, I wonder did it happen so quickly as that uh, we don't have framing for this I mean maybe you think about Jesus among the 500 witnesses there as he is ascending into heaven if you remember that great narrative an angel of God has to come and pull their attention back away from the skies and he says to them why are you standing there looking as if you're going to see him any longer? They were watching the brilliance of the heavens. They were watching into the sky where Christ had ascended, and they could not take their eyes off that, and he had to refocus them. He's coming back again in like way. Now go about your business. What's that business? It's the business of God. Or maybe it's like God who sent his flaming chariots led by flaming horses for Elijah. And in that mystical way, he is taken up to God. Maybe it's those kind of passages, those two unique ways that we think about Enoch. I, I don't know. The Bible didn't give us a description about Enoch being taken up. All he says is that he was taken up. Now, God gives us no details about Enoch's departure, and I think that alone is significant. I mean, if it's only happened to Elijah and to Enoch, you would think that God would give us some details. So the fact that God does not give us details about that 
is a detail. I wonder why he would do that. I think it's probably for a couple of different reasons. The first of, of which is this, the significance is not how, but who. Who did this? God took Enoch up. So it's not about what Enoch experienced or about what you and I might have even seen if we were there. But the very fact is God determined it to be and he did it. He took him up. And then the second part that is significant to me is that Enoch had the grace of God such that he could walk in pleasure to God. Now, let's focus on those two things for the rest of our time this morning. God graciously acts in Enoch's life, and you see this by a repeated phrase that maybe you just didn't concentrate on as we said it three times in a little section of this text. By faith, Enoch was taken up. That's one word in the original language, metatheomai. And it means literally to transpose, to move from one place to the other. So let's think about that. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had, same word, taken him up. Now before he was taken up. Now, when you come to repeated words or phrases in the scripture, you ought to just circle, bracket, star, whatever it is that you do to signify that, that God wants us to put our focus right there. What he's saying is God was one place, Enoch was another, and suddenly God determined he wanted Enoch to be where he is. He takes him out of one realm and puts him into another, out of one location and moves him to another. He transposes him. He gets him and catches him up to where he is. Simply put, Enoch is carried over to the other side to where the holy presence of God is. Now, we're going to have to settle down and think about that for a minute because this is way more than a man not experiencing death. All people of all time, including every one of us, are sinners who are separated from God and His holiness and cannot be in the holy presence of God. We get that. Sin separates us from God. And death is the wage of our sin. And nothing can change that reality except for God. And Enoch was in the very same desperate place that every other person on the planet of any other age experiences. He's not unique. He's not unlike us. We read this from last week, but it bears going back to to see how this changes. What is going on that God would take us sinners and bring us into his holy presence. What has to transpire for that to take place? It's found in Romans chapter 3, verse 22 and following, and, and in other places as well. But here's where it starts. For there's no distinction. That's a pretty good place to start. Nobody's different. Now, of course, he's talking about Jews or Gentiles. You and I could talk about Enoch or us. We just come down to this very simple fact. There's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you look to the left, if you look to the right, you're looking at somebody who has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody, there's no distinction. That's where we all are. My beautiful grandboys are here today. 
If you haven't seen, I'm going to be strutting them around later as a peacock would, and I'm going to show them off. But I'm sad to say, there's no distinction of them. They're sinners. And they are separated from God. There's no distinction. So what changes that? Verse 24. And are justified by God's grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forth as the propitiation. The satisfaction of his wrath. By his blood. The satisfaction of his judgment. By his blood. To be received by faith. There's the answer. If you're looking for a nutshell of the gospel. There it is. We're all sinners. Distant from God. Cannot be in the glorious holy presence of God. So God steps in and he justifies us. He does this not because of our merit. But as a gift of grace. And it is that for all of us that Christ is redeeming us, buying us out of that state of death, buying us into his life, buying us into his kingdom, purchasing us, adopting us, bringing us in for all people who will receive that by faith. It's that way from the Old Testament to today and all the way through the ages. God does this by faith through grace. We're grateful for that. Now look at the rest of that passage. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. What was it with Enoch? God was forbearing. God was passing over his sins. He, he wasn't going to just let him slide. He wasn't just going to let him have a pass. No, God was forbearing. He passed over the former sins. And it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier for the one who has faith in Jesus. Now let's concentrate on those last, that last verse there. A couple of words that stand out to me as forbearance. Uh, we don't use forbearance very often, but it means to hold back judgment. In this context, it's holding back judgment. He's forbearing. And why is he holding back? Because he's holding back judgment for the time for the justice and justifier to be here. To justify us. To bring justice to a something that uh, you and I can't bring justice to. So it's not that God is indifferent to sin or sinners from Adam to Abel to Enoch to Noah to you to me and others. All sinners are condemned to die and eternally separated from God. Without bias, God rightly condemns every sin and every sinner, including Enoch. However, he is a forbearing justifier. That is, he withheld his justice until the time that Jesus bore the sin of Enoch on the cross because Enoch had faith that God would provide the justifier. Abel had faith through that sacrifice that God would provide the substitutionary atonement for him. They had faith that God would be their provider. So God was forbearing in his judgment, knowing that Christ would come and he would bear the judgment for all who have put their faith and trust in him. So in that, God exercises the full justice and wrath on his son and all who have faith in him, whether it's of the Old Testament, the New Testament, or in the 21st century, all who have faith in him can live in him. 
And God fully is satisfied with that propitiation. He's satisfied with that. And to that, you and I yield our life. That's the reason why we come and gather and sing, because we celebrate this new life that is ours in Christ and this great God who has done a marvelous work of love and grace. We're grateful for that. So it's by faith that Enoch is transposed spiritually from death to life and physically from earth to heaven. So the phrase, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, is more than skipping death, physical death on this earth. It includes God saving him by faith through the future death of Jesus Christ on the cross, by the way, which is going to happen about 3,500 years later. This is way more than him going from this life to the life in heaven. This is about him going from spiritual death to spiritual life and being transposed to where God is in his holiness in heaven. So for those who have saving faith, we experience those same realities. That God would transpose us spiritually from spiritual death to spiritual life. And one day he will transpose us from the life on this earth to a life in heaven. We have those same realities. We just don't experience them quite in the same timing that Enoch does. Anybody want to say amen to God's glorious grace? Just grateful to that. So we have been saved by faith. In other words, his Holy Spirit has made us alive in Christ and forever declared to be sinless, justified before him. Not because we're sinless people, but because Christ has cleansed us of our sin. One day he's going to bring us into his eternal presence where we will live forever. Alive spiritually today, yes. And in the future we will be alive physically in his glorious presence. So by faith, we're spiritually transposed. And the latter reality is we will be transposed physically. Our bodies will be gloriously resurrected and we will forever live with him. Now think about this for a moment about being transposed first in a spiritual kingdom. Colossians 1 is one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament. You can just put the whole book of Colossians in there. You can just mount it up with all the epistles <laughs> Oh, shoot, throw the Gospels in there as well. It's a good scripture, isn't it? But here's one of my favorites. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, there's a transposing, isn't it? That God takes us out of the kingdom of darkness and he transposes us, moves us from one place to another from where we are rejectors of his to we are acceptors of his, where we are out of his presence and into his presence, where we're marked with sin and now marked with... He's moving us out of one kingdom and into another kingdom. And it's not because we marched our way there. It's because he has by grace brought us, by his power, he has transferred us into that kingdom. Or here's the words of Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. There's the same thing that's happened to Enoch, only in a spiritual application. He's passed from death to life. 
Now, the reality for us is also today. It's not just something that's happened in the past. This is for us today. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. You see that underlined section there? I want to dive down into that for a moment. Considering ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ is going to require faith. And I think if we're going to walk in, please, in pleasure to God like Enoch did, you and I are going to have to walk by faith. All right, now faith is having certainty of what God says you ought to have hope in. And he declares all of that hope in this word. So we want to live with certainty about what God says, here's your hope. The way we ought to first live by faith, if we're going to walk in a way that's pleasing to God, is we believe that to be true. We are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. But this is what I experienced. No, no, no. This is about faith. This is about trusting God. It doesn't mean that you're going to be sinless from here on out. It's believing that God has established your life in Christ Jesus and you are now dead to sin and alive to God in Christ by faith. So we biblically define living with faith as living with certainty about the things the Bible says to have hope. Therefore, we trust God that we are dead to sin and alive to Christ. We have to reconcile that to our thinking this spiritual reality must be what we have and possess and believe and trust by faith that God has enabled us to walk with newness of life. Have faith that God has provided the means by which you and I can walk in newness of life. It does not have to be the way it used to be. And that means by faith you have to have this in your mindset. I am new in Jesus Christ, thereby I am a saint. Now you're a saint that still struggles with the sin of your flesh, but God has made you a saint if your faith is in him who has provided his son. And you're going to have to walk in faith to that. Today, I want to walk as a saint because God has enabled me to be a saint. I'm a saint because Christ declares me to be a saint and I need to live saintly before him. So, oh God, help me to walk by faith that I am genuinely a saint because Christ Jesus has established my sainthood. Oh man, you got to live by faith in that, trusting that God says, here's who you are. And thereby we walk in the spirit not enslaved to the desires of my flesh. Do I want to do things that are against God, that are unpleasing to God? You bet your bottom dollar I want to do them. But by faith, I trust that I'm walking in the Spirit and I don't have to walk in the things of the flesh. I don't have to live in ways like a sinner lives because God has made me to be a saint and I want to walk in faith by that. By faith, I put off the old self and I put on the new self that has been created in the likeness of Christ with genuine truth of righteousness and holiness. And I know God is for me and that nothing can separate me from the love of God. 
And I know that I'm a conqueror, more than a conqueror, because I love God. And today I put on the whole armor of God that I might be able to stand against the enemy. All those are truths that we know in the scripture, but we're not applying them by faith. And if you're going to walk in a way that is pleasing to God and rewarded by God, then you're going to have to walk by faith to who God says you are and what God has called you to be and do. Just trust him. Walk in him. Enoch walked with such faith that he lived in the realm of the newness of life. If you're going to walk in the realm of the newness of life, it will be because you walk by faith, not by sight, not by your experiences, not by your desires, not by your inclinations, but you walk on the truth that God has declared about you. But it's not just a spiritual reality and a, a way for us in, to live out our day-by-day -day living. It's in death and resurrection that God will transpose us as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says to be away from the body is to be home with the Lord. I still like the King James Version. To be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. They're both saying the same thing. To be present with the Lord is to be at home. So when I take my last breath, and it is certain that I am because the day has already been appointed for that to take place unless the Lord calls his church before I die. When I take my last breath, you can be certain I will be home with my father. And great certainty comes in that will be transposed. When that last breath is given, our first time in the presence of God happens right then. I've had the joy of being in the place where that has happened for the saints of God. And I've watched people that I've grown to love and I've watched others that I've known take their last breath. And because I know their faith that is in Christ Jesus, it is a glorious moment. Because in that moment, I say, oh, you just took your last breath and you're in the presence with the Lord. You're home with him. How great is that? And we are certain to be transposed in a day in the future when God will bring with him, him those who have fallen asleep. The dead in Christ will rise first. That's the reason why I like to officiate a ceremony where a body is put six feet under. And I remind the people standing here, oh, you may be watching your loved one go into the ground. The ground will cover them over. But I am guaranteeing you by the declaration of God, this place is going to rupture one day and the dead in Christ will rise first. And together we will meet the Lord in the air. That's transposed. To move from one place to another because God determines it to be by the wondrous grace that is demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Now I want you to see the connection. I want you to pull all this together in the connection of Abel and Enoch. A sinner is justified by faith, trusting in the provision of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Once hostile in mind and doing evil deeds, Christ presents the reconciled to God as holy and blameless. And God eternally welcomes those people home with him in heaven where sin and death are banished. They are not in the place of heaven. Abel bears that account. That Abel trusts in the word of God that a sacrifice is required 
He yields faith into that word. And he demonstrates that faith with his act of worship, coming to God in worship through sacrifice. And then God takes the next person mentioned in Hebrews 11, which is Enoch, and he transfers him, transports him from earth to heaven without experiencing death. And so we recognize in pulling those two together, faith in God cleanses us of our sin that we might be transposed into the holy presence of God. And in that we have a declaration in the Old Testament of the wondrous gospel. And it's that for all Christians, sin and death have lost their grip on us. They have no power over us. And together we will live with God in the holies of heaven. Sure, sin still has its devastating effect on our bodies. Thereby our flesh will cease to exist. But our spirits are instantaneously in the presence and home with God. And one day the Lord will resurrect our bodies that have been so, skin, so marred with sin and disease and despair. But he will resurrect those bodies and they will house in a glorious way those spirits that are now alive in Jesus Christ. And then we will forever gloriously live in his presence in the new heaven and the new earth. Hallelujah for the picture of the gospel that we see in Abel and Enoch. But this passage is not just speaking about the transposing of Enoch. It's speaking about the remarkable life that Enoch lived today. And although I am very encouraged that one day we will be in the presence of God by our faith in Christ, who is our substitutionary sacrifice, the one who gives us righteousness and declares us sinless, I'm encouraged in this passage as well because I want to be one who is pleasing to God. I think you're in that position as well. I think part of the reason why you're here today is not just a routine for you, it's not just what we do in the South coming together to church on Sunday. It's not just because you enjoy being with friends, but you do. It's not just because you enjoy singing and hearing music that's good, and you do. It's not just because you love your pastor, and you do. <laughs> it is because you've come in this place because you've been worn down for six days, and now on this seventh day, God has said, let me build you up. Let me encourage you with the saints. Let me encourage you with song. Oh, sure, you're going to worship me. You're going to praise me. But at the same time, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to encourage you. And oh, yeah, we're going to declare the good news of Christ. We're going to declare the wonder of God. We're going to see him in the scriptures and we're going to be marveling about him. But at the same time, man, is he ever going to richly feed us for this week coming up. And so the latter part of this message, it's a shorter part. But the latter part is about Enoch's life. God miraculously transposed him. But I'm telling you, just as miraculously, God made it that Enoch could walk with him in a way that God would say of him, that's pleasing to me. That faith pleases me. God provides exceeding grace to saints to live and to die. I've said it a number of times. I said it last Sunday. I was in the hospital with a family. I was saying that to them. I want to live well and I want to die well. How do you do that? You put all your faith in Jesus, in life and in death. Put your faith in Jesus. 
I'm telling you that there's many people in the midst of the crisis that we've been in over the last year and a half who have failed to live in faith, to live well, and to die well. What are you saying, Randy? I'm saying have faith in Christ to live well, have faith to Christ that you will die well. If he takes me by heart attack, by cancer, or by his supernatural means in some other way, let it be that you would say of me, he lived well and he died well. I want to live with courage and confidence and great faith in life and in death. In case we forget, Paul said to live is Christ, to die is gain. We sang about it a moment ago. And as we were singing about that, I thought, do we really believe that, God? Oh, God, by your spirit, help us to believe that it's better to be with you than in this world. Help us to trust you that we ought to live by faith in life and in death and let it be glorious unto you. Because when it's glorious unto God, man, is it ever good for us. Enoch helps me to think about those things to give contemplation to that. So if you want to just nestle it into this, you could say it this way. If you can have faith in God to save your soul for all eternity, you can have faith in God to help you to walk in a way that is pleasing to him today. You can trust him. If you can trust him with your soul, you can trust him with your living today. For by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not of our own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, catch this, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Don't forget the latter part of that passage. You and I have been created and saved for the good works. You can trust God for your life today. You can trust him to help you to walk in the way of Christ today for the works that he's already prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. So trust God with his words that have been spoken about you. Listen, O oh, saints of God, be saved by faith and renounce the feelings and the thoughts and the words that you think that are contrary to the biblical truth. That not only have you been saved by faith, you've been saved by faith that you might walk in the good works that God has already prepared and enabled you to walk in. Trust him for that. You say, but this in my life is so counter to God. Trust God for the good works that he's going to enable you to walk. Trust him to walk in that. You say, well, I'm struggling in this aspect of my life. Trust God for the good works that he's called you to walk in. Trust God for his spirit that walks in your life with you. Trust him for that. Christ makes Christians righteous now and in eternity. Righteous is not just for the day in which our bodies will be made glorious unto him. Righteousness is for today that you and I might walk rightly before God, well-pleasing to him. Romans 3.11 states that God gives righteousness through faith that is in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's righteousness that's given to us as a gift today. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, we will be transformed in the likeness of Christ, in the glorious image coming 
uh, one image from another, from one degree of glory to another. What is he saying there? He's saying as you're growing older in your life with Christ, journeying with him, you're going to have one degree of glory added upon another degree of glory. You're going to become more and more like Jesus. You say, well, I'm not seeing that. It's because you're not walking in faith. You're still hanging on to the old, the old you, which Christ said through the Apostle Paul, put off the old you and put on the new in Christ Jesus. You're walking according to the flesh rather than according to the spirit because you're not walking in faith. Enoch walked in faith and it was pleasing to God. So let's ask God. Oh God, would you increase our faith today? Would you increase our faith that we might trust you to work powerfully in us, enable us to walk in a way that is pleasing to you? And at the same time, let's commit ourselves to walking in a manner that is worthy of our calling. What is that calling? That you are sons and daughters of the Most High God, that you are a joint heir with Christ Jesus, that you, an inherit, you have an inheritance of all the things of God that have been given to Jesus. Would you determine to walk in that as an image bearer of Christ? Be mindful that God will not likely increase our faith if we are unwilling to pursue his passions and purposes. You're just going to hang on to your old life and your old ways and your old thinking. Then I doubt that God is going to give you an increase in faith to walk differently. You've proven not to be in a destination. You're just kind of meandering through life. And God says, oh no, I've, I've created you for purpose and the purpose is for good works. Walk in them. So let me give you two quick admonishments. One, be careful not to diminish, uh, dismiss, excuse me, diminish God's transforming work in you. Don't diminish it. And you can do that. You can diminish God's transforming work in you by holding on to the pleasures of the world. There's something. There's something in your life that you're holding on to that's of this world and God by his spirit has been convicting you to say that is not what a saint holds on to. And you cling to that, you hold to that, you circle back to that and you take of that over and over and over. You know what you're doing? You're diminishing the work of God in you. And you'll find it ever more difficult to walk by faith in a way that's pleasing to him. Don't diminish the work of God. It might be said another way, don't quench the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't diminish his work by holding on to those things of the world. Clinging to worldly sinful impedes at best the transforming work of God. So undoubtedly, he will not shower us with heaven's grace while we saturate ourselves with the sin of the world. We're just going to have to make a choice. Could I encourage us choose the things of God over the things of the world? When you choose the things of God, you will release the things of the world. That doesn't mean that you won't struggle with that from time to time, but you're releasing that. No, no, I want God more than I want that temporary pleasure. I'm trusting him. I'm not going to diminish his work in me. Now, let me, let me just tell you what I've experienced in my own life and what I know to be true from that word. When I say, God, no more. No more attitude, no more words like that no more actions like that God by your grace no more 
And I put that off and I take on the things of the Holy Spirit that counter that. And I pursue that. I'm getting up and pursuing that of the Spirit. Man, do I ever find that powerful living. Now, if you're going to try to balance a little bit of this world and a little bit of the kingdom of light, it's not going to work. God is not going to empower that. Why would he empower that when he says, man, I want you to be hot or cold. I don't want you to be lukewarm. Otherwise, I'll spit you out of my mouth. I can drink hot coffee and I enjoy it. I can drink coffee that's cold and it's okay, but I don't ever want it to be in the middle. And that's exactly what God is saying about our life. Choose. Choose today. And then what Joshua said to the people, choose you this day who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Enoch was that. He was choosing to walk in a way that was honorable to the Lord because he chose him. And then be careful not to discount God's grace and work that is powerfully available to you. It was God's grace in Enoch that allowed him to walk in a way that was pleasing to him. Hey, Enoch was not like, uh, unlike any of us. It's not like Enoch was spiritual superman who lived his life pleasing unto the lord oh no no there was only one righteous and his name is jesus christ enoch was just as sinful as you and me enoch's sin required jesus to go to the cross of calvary just like our sin requires that enoch was no different the difference is god gave grace to enoch god empowered enoch in a way that he was able to walk pleasing to him because his faith like abel was in God who would provide the redemptive sacrifice. That's you and me as well. We trust in the sacrifice of Christ. We've been washed, made clean in that sacrifice. We've been filled by His Spirit. And now we walk in a new way, a way that's pleasing unto Him. So let me ask you, is God powerfully working in your life? I mean, seriously. Is God powerfully working in your life and if not is it because you've diminished his work because you've clinged to that of the world is God powerfully working in your life is it evident that he's powerfully working in your life and if you say no Randy is it because you've discounted his grace in your life today oh you've trusted him for eternal life but you haven't trusted him in your daily life and you say no more of that Today, Lord, I trust you for my living, that you have created me for good works, and today, by your grace, I walk in those works. Now, that's a life, my friend, that's like Enoch, and it'll be a life that is pleasing to God, and it will be a life rewarded. It's a good place for us just to think for a moment about Hebrews eleven six, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. When it comes down to it, that's the exchange. Lord, the pleasures of this world are nothing compared to the pleasure of walking with you. What I might hold in this world and all of its allure is nothing compared to the reward you will give me for walking faithfully I pray, God, that your grace will be poured out in such measure with the willingness that you have given me of faith that I might walk pleasing to you. It's a new day. 
It's a day for you to start believing and trusting what Christ has provided and walk in faith from this day forward. Now let's pray together. We come not to you, Father, in the name of Enoch or Abel. We come in the name of Jesus, who was perfect. He's our Savior and our Redeemer and our Reconciler. He's the bread of life. He is our King. And in His name we come believing and trusting that He has cleansed us of all unrighteousness and credited us with His righteousness and declared us before you as holy and blameless, above reproach. And in it's His name that we approach your throne of grace and mercy with confidence. And it's also in the name of Jesus that we choose to rise up out of these seats and stand confidently and sing songs of praise to him. And it's in his name that we will walk out of this building and walk to our life groups and encourage one another and choose to pray, pray together with confidence that you are hearing us. And it's in his name that we walk to our car and we go to our various places and tomorrow we'll rise up and go to school or go to work or we'll stay at the house and minister in his name. And it's in his name that we choose to walk by faith according to the good works that he has made possible for us to do. And so, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we choose to be different by the wonder of his work on our behalf. We bless you and praise you and give glory. Amen.